This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. This is AMI Audio Live, bringing community events closer to you. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. We are in Toronto at, of course, the Miles Nadal Jewish Community Center. And uh, just past 1 o'clock Eastern time, ladies and gentlemen, which means Ramya Muthan and Kelly McDonald, hosts of Kelly and Company, are just getting things started for our White Cane Week Expo broadcast right here on AMI-audio. Ramya, we welcome everybody listening in wherever you are and, of course, to everybody here on site and the guests that we have lined up today joining us on our set. Yes, the celebrations have been going on for White King Week, of course, nationally in uh, all regions of the country. And we're so excited because this one is just as packed as any other. Wow, and so much information as you will learn over the next couple of hours as you join us. Our uh, friends over at the Neutral Zone started the day off here. Uh, Actually, the guys at the Gazette did, and then the Neutral Zone came in, had a great show. And we're going to carry that on and get a little more detailed as to what you can expect if you want to pop in here. If you can't, we're just going to bring you that much closer. So uh, what do we have coming up today on this broadcast? How do you make your documents more accessible? Well, Onyx Canada has the solution, and we're going to speak with Don Campbell, Canadian Account Manager for Onyx Canada uh, here in Toronto. We're obviously going to be talking adaptive sports, and uh, first of all, we'll have Craig Esparel with the CCB Roadrunners chapter, as well as Glenn Babcock with the um, Ontario Visually Impaired Golfers joining us. We're going to hear the story behind an individual who's made a great great business out of her experience with disability. Denise Justin will tell us about Hello to Blindness, but... Getting things started are a couple of people who have some great significance to this organization, CCB, who uh, is overseer of White Cane Week in Canada. Lots of events spread out across the country will commence tomorrow, but this event here in Toronto is kind of our our kicker uh, here at the Expo. So I want to first welcome in the president of the CCB Toronto Visionaries Chapter, Ian White. Hello, Ian. Nice to have you back. Hey, guys. It's great to be here. Always wonderful. And hanging out uh, beside Ian is the uh, president of CCB National, Louise Gillis. Louise, welcome back to our broadcast. Well, thank you very much. It's a great pleasure to be here, and it's a great show. We've been keeping you quite busy. I know with our friends over at Live 5 having you on, we had you on uh, a couple of years ago, so there's so much to talk about with White Cane Week in general. I'm going to start off, Ian, with you. Uh, You helped us line up a bunch of guests with this broadcast because we've got so many people to talk to. Can you tell us a little bit about your role in coordinating this event today? So really, the, uh, the White King Week Experience Expo is an idea that uh, was generated by the CCB Toronto Visionaries chapter about four years ago. It started off really modestly as a recreation and leisure show that um, really brought together um, groups and organizations that supported uh, sport and leisure activities for the blind in the Toronto area. And it's an idea that's just sort of grown since then. Um, We started off four years ago with about 19 exhibitors, and uh, this year we're up to about 46 exhibitors. uh, And uh, vendors uh, really addressing just about every aspect of living with vision loss. Amazing. Uh, Really tremendous. 
Uh, Louise, so right now the room is pretty packed, as we can tell from the noise level, and of course exhibitors all over the place, organized very nicely around here, volunteers. How are you feeling about the turnout? I'm hearing it's going to get busier throughout the day. Well, great turnout so far, I feel, because I see a lot of people coming in and looking at all the different displays and tables and learning about the sports and, and other items that are available that get together with technology and all that. And yes, I expect the afternoon to be quite busy as it get late, gets on to the time before our forum, which will be at 4 o'clock. So I imagine there will be quite a few people in about this afternoon. People mark their calendars for the, this event, like year in, year out. They're looking forward to it. Louise, I'd be remiss if we kind of leave off the national component, which is, of course, uh, your job uh, up there as president. So let's talk about, Louise, the challenge, the challenges that uh, CCB has been really dealing with when it comes to discrimination, awareness, resources, or anything else related to, to disability that CCB is kind of finding right now, hot button, key issue to deal with. Well, one of the big things is getting awareness and education out to the people. People in general, not only persons with vision loss, but oftentimes their caregivers or their teachers or their, their parents or their, their children of older adults as well, and getting them to realize that there is life after vision loss, and that's one of the big things, to make people aware that you can get out and, and do things, even though you have lost your eyesight. For instance, when I lost my eyesight, I didn't know exactly where to turn or what to do. Right. But uh, soon afterwards, I found out there was something, and actually, I've been, never have been as busy as I am in the last few years. <laughs> There's no time, uh, no rest for the wicked, as they say. But well, anyway, it, well, <laughs> and it, it's that community, right? We're talking, which I'm sure helped you through a lot of it. Oh, it certainly is, and that's one of the big things. Like you join a, a group of people who have a common interest in technology, maybe, or in. Uh, curling, for instance, yeah. but it's beyond that. It's not just those two sports or things that are happening, but it's meeting other people and how they dealt with a particular situation in their life and uh, then that uh, mentorship that, that goes on with each other as we talk and learn, well, how did you manage to get here? What type of transportation did you take? What is available? And all those things, little Shared experiences. Yeah, yes, exactly. And that's yeah. basically what it's all about. So, Well, kind of going off that thought, Ian, uh, how do you feel that the community has really helped in terms of coming together to put this event together? Like, I mean, for example, uh, I had a captain from Trailblazers. He had his captain's jersey on. And on top of that, he had his ski hawks <laughs> jacket on. And he's like, I'm representing everything, walking yep, yep. from table to table. So there's obviously so much love for for everybody and, and community members who are here to represent a certain organization but are also walking around and doing their uh, due diligence of checking everything out. Yeah, table to table, yeah, doing I their think shifts. Yeah, uh, it, it actually is... Huge. The, the the key component that Louise touched on was really the, the peer support and the, that sort of social kind of networking that happens when people with, um, you know, a common interest uh, get together. And in this case, the common interest is how do you deal with vision loss? Um, there is so much support uh, in the community from all of the organizations that are here. They all want to get their message out. They want people to know that options are open, you know, possibilities are out there. 
and um, and so there's a there's a lot of support for an event like this that brings all that information together in one space at one time. Um, so we we love that wow moment when people walk in the door and they say, "Wow, I didn't know there was a X, yeah. whatever X is, right? Whether it's a, a technological support or access to a, a sport or, or a, a arts and entertainment or transport or you know any of the myriad of things, uh, uh, support services, uh, products, you name it. And it's so great to have somebody walk in the door and go, wow, I didn't know. And uh, actually what's even funnier is when, when exhibitors walk in the door and they say, wow, I didn't know there was a... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I could get into that or you that know what I mean? like doing this stuff. Yeah, I yep. mean, you know, when you think about people living with vision loss, you don't typically think of people who do distance running or nope. rock climbing or downhill skiing or <laughs> in any of the million things that we get up to. Yeah. And, and it's just a great opportunity for people to walk around and say, you know, this is a rich life worth living. Well, we've seen people, too, here even from out of town. I've talked to people from Oshawa, London. It's, it's wonderful that now you're getting some of those visitors here. National uh, President Louise Gillis of the CCB. And, of course, you just heard the voice of Ian White, President of CCB chapter here in Toronto. So, Louise, I mentioned across the country, people coming from out of town. What is the response you're getting through White Cane Week expected from communities and including chapters? Well, many of the chapters across the, the country do different uh, promotional times. They, they uh, go out and set up displays in small areas, especially in the smaller cities and, and towns, to get the word out that we are here and CCB is an organization that you can be part of. One of the, the big things, as we had mentioned and Ian has mentioned, is getting to know other folks. And oftentimes, if a person who has vision loss, whether it's just new to it, or new to the community in particular, uh, to find others with a similar type of process going on in their lives of how they can deal with it. So the, the chapters and the divisions all across the country are, are going out during this Viking Week in particular, but not only now, but all through the year, spreading awareness of, of uh, what is available and that you can do so many different things. So that's one of the, the big articles that we, or one of the big items that we do. And articles appear in many of the magazines, and the White Cane magazine is a, is a great issue. But also every month out comes the, uh, the Visions newsletter that tells about what's happening in many of the chapters across the country and what is available for people. So it's getting the national aspect with you know telephone calls with GTT and, and that sort of thing. Like once a month, they have a, a national call-in service. Do you see a lot of room for cross-regional uh, promotion and awareness in time like White Cane Week? Oh, yes. Uh, not only across regions, but across other disabilities, because mm -hmm. it's often a good thing to, to work with other people with whatever the disability may be and work together for a common interest to improve the lives of people with disabilities. And this year, in particular, it's our year of accessibility. So what we're trying to do is get more accessible uh, items for people with, uh, who have needs for assistive devices and those types of things. So it's just joining forces together. Well, I'm going to ask both of you. Ian, I'll start with you. Give us a, a final words to launch our broadcast today, would you please? 
I think I would just encourage everybody, whether you're living with vision loss or whether you're sighted, to come down to the show, um, engage in the experience, because I think that um, one of the big reasons that public awareness is so important for, uh, for the CCB and for people with vision loss, for people with disabilities, is really to make folks who don't come into contact with that regularly aware of what people with disabilities are capable of, what the possibilities are, and what the potential is. Um, we find that um, there are often misconceptions about people with disabilities, um, what they're able to do, uh, and uh, this is a great opportunity to just spread out the smorgasbord, as it were, and, uh, and say, look, there's a huge variety of things that people are interested in, whether they're living with vision loss or not, and, um, and those things are all possible. Louise, in closing, your final words? Uh, one of the most important things I'd like to speak about a bit is employment. Many people with vision loss are among the highest unemployed rate, but people who have vision loss or are blind in one way or another uh, are often one of your best employees because they need the work and they're going to get out and do work. So it's important to, for the person who has vision loss to get the education, to be able to receive employment and then to, to carry it forward from that point and, and live a, a great life. So there's... Just look around at, at this show, and for those across the nation who may be listening, get out in your community and uh, look to see what is available. There is life, and there is work after vision loss. Excellent. Thank you both for launching our program off well. Uh, that was CCB President Ian White of the uh, Visionaries Chapter here in uh, Toronto and Canadian Council of the Blind President Louise Gillis giving us a bit of time to get our AMI Audio Live broadcast underway. We are at the White Cane Week Expo. We'll return with lots more coming up in a moment. We're going to be joined by the president of CCB Dragon Boat Toronto, Maya Rodriguez, and Chris Jonas, president of Blind Sailing Canada. Stick around. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Wherever you may be, thank you. We're in Toronto. Appreciate you joining us. We're having a lot of fun just getting started here at the CCB White Cane Week Expo. Those of you around the country saying, well, what is that? Well, Ramya Amuthan and I are hanging out here with a bunch of people, different vendors, different organizations, Ramya, that are telling people what they do and how active and, and involved the low vision and blind community is, not just here in Toronto. Even though this event's here, it's, this is a national yeah. thing, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, everybody uh, across the country, everybody cares, everybody's involved. And uh, we just started our broadcast now, kicking it off with Louise Gillis, uh, CCB National President, as well as Ian White, uh, you know, very vital in putting this event together. But we've got tons more representation coming up on the show. Oh, boy. Uh, by the way, if you are coming to the show or roaming around now or can hear us, Drop by the Accessible Media Inc. Uh, marketing and communications table. If you sign up for the newsletter, uh, you can get yourself a little bit of swag. So do that if you're roaming around in here and you hear this and say, oh, wow, that's always cool. Swag. Okay, Rumya's favorite now, ladies and gentlemen. Time to talk sports. 
Woo! We're going to get into a couple of great groups that are around the org- uh, around the Toronto community who, though, can talk to you about these sports that are, are wide around the world. These are two particular sports that love the water, and we're going to start out with the president of CCB Dragon Boat Toronto, Maya Rodriguez. Maya, welcome to the show. Nice to see you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So we're going to start, Maya, with getting people interested in this sport they've probably heard about, but maybe don't know exactly what it is. Can you give us a bit of a description on dragon boating? Yes. Well, the dragon boat itself is like a very large canoe. It can seat up to 20 people, plus a steersperson and a drummer. Drummer at the front, steersperson at the back. So seats of two, two, and two right across. And uh, you use one paddle. And if you've oh. paddled a canoe, that's not the way you paddle a dragon. Uh-huh. <laughs> one paddle for the three of you? No. no. Uh, one person will paddle on the left, and the person beside them will paddle on the right. Oh, my. So you're back and forth. Back and forth. And what you're doing, there, there is a technique to the, to the stroke. So when you put your paddle in at the front, then you bring it up, bring it back, and you pull it out right at your hip. Oh, wow. Whereas oh. if you were paddling a canoe, you would let it go back. Yeah. Yes. But dragon boat, you would pull it out of your hip and swing it forward. Wow. Okay. And then cycle back around. Now, what's your drummer do? Uh, the drummer mostly works when we're doing regattas, and the drummer is the one that's setting the pace mm-hmm. of, the, of the dragon boat. And when you're dragon boating, it, it's marvelous whether you have sight or you don't have sight, because when everybody is paddling in sync, it's almost like the boat is breathing. Yes. Yeah. I guess it pulsates, it right? Pulse, exactly. It pulsates. And in fact, coaches often ask sighted paddlers to close their eyes when they're paddling. Wow. So they can feel, feel the, the motion. motion. And you stay oh. it timed well, I would imagine. So one other thing. Tell us how many people. We talked about mainly the drummer and the steersman. And of course, as an individual, you know, stoking. But how many people do we have side by side working, powering uh, this boat? Uh, up to 20 people. Wow. And That's so you, you, you have your pacers in the front. You have what we call the engine room in the middle. Those are people who are often big, strong guys that can really move it. Oh. And then you have your people at the back who can paddle faster, very fast, to keep in sync and keep the boat moving. Ah. So, so where does the observer like me sit? Yeah, no, well, you're sitting in the front. You're sitting in the front. <laughs> what do you no mean that person gets off and swims? <laughs> uh, Myra, can you talk to us about some of your Dragon Boat experiences? Like, for people who are really curious about what this can feel like, uh, do you have one particular experience, either recently or, you know, forever oh, ago? Well, our, our particular organization, CCB uh, Dragon Boat Toronto, our focus is on introducing people who are blind, visually impaired, and sighted to the experience of dragon boating. And so last summer we paddled out of Sunnyside Paddling Club, and we had, we had a few people who had been paddling for quite a while because they just liked a, resa- a relaxed atmosphere. They didn't want to be competing a lot. And we had other brand new paddlers. So we're happy any, any level of paddling. We don't do a lot of regattas. We'll be doing one fun regatta this year, hopefully in September. So uh, anybody can join. We go for adults. We prefer it if people have some swimming ability. I was going to say, if, people might be a little nervous about that aspect. Well, Is that the most? Everybody has to wear a life jacket. Okay. Is and that fear... Myra, the biggest, you know, when people think about starting out, is that what they're most afraid of? The water? The, uh, of the swimming? Or? Sometimes it's the water, and sometimes it's the process of getting in and out of right. a boat. Okay. Now, we have, we try to have maybe 10 blind paddlers and 10 sighted people. 
And the idea is that everybody has a partner to help them get in and get out of the boat. Once they've done that a few times, it's easy. Sunnyside Paddling Center uh, has the advantage of lovely new docks. So they're wide, they're stable. You feel very safe on them. We haven't lost anybody off a Sunnyside dock. (laughs) (laughs) How long is the uh, Dragon Boat season? How long does it last? I'm sorry? The The Dragon Boat season. The The, season? Well, uh, a lot of... uh, a lot of teams start actually in May, Okay. and it depends. If they're competitive, they'll work May through September, and they might paddle two or even three times a week. We're not being a competitive team, uh, unless we end up with a lot of paddlers that want to compete, then we will make that change. So we will be paddling most likely from mid-July till early September. Okay. Meyer, uh, do you guys get to travel at the group at all? Oh, yes. In the past, we've done a lot of traveling. But last year was the first time with a new group, so we didn't travel last year. We enjoyed Toronto, and every day we had a paddling session, the sun shone. Oh, my gosh, so amazing. Now, that was oh, luck. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, I've had the chance of sailing on uh, just sitting back with Myra, and we've sailed together. So we're going to switch gears, sticking on the water, though, and we're going to check out Blind Sailing Ontario with our guest, Chris Jonas, uh, president of Blind Sailing Canada. Chris, how long have you guys been around? <clears throat> Uh, Thanks, Kelly. We've been around since 2002, so about 17 years now, and uh, we're going strong. Are you? Wow. How strong? Like, how many people do you have coming out regularly? Um, I don't know how you guys split the regions up, but how does it happen? Well, um, we have about 35 members, and and it's a pretty core group. Every year, you know, a couple may drop out, and a couple new ones may come on. That's we a are, lot of people. Though. Yeah, we are trying to grow the program as well. We're trying to bring in more younger people, trying to bring in more younger volunteers because we do have two fully sighted crew members and experienced skippers on every on every sail just for safety reasons. Wow. Safety has always been one of our biggest uh, priorities at, at our club. Well, I've participated. I can attest to that. And, and just the enjoyment. I mean, being on the water in both these sports is just such a joy. Uh, Chris, do you guys have connections with other blind sailing groups that are out there? Uh, we have connections with uh, <clears throat> a lot of the uh, groups from the United States and other countries around the world. That's primarily through the racing connection because a lot of our, our blind members... Uh, do engage in some international racing. Um, and that, uh, I, I know Ramya said she was going to ask about travel. That, that is an opportunity to do some traveling. Uh, I've sailed and raced in places like New Zealand, Japan, nice. San Francisco. Well, that's international. Uh, really, really all over the world. Yeah. Wow. Um, in Toronto, though, so in Toronto or, you know, in regions around Ontario, um, where are we talking for sailing? Well, we, we, we're housed at Marina Key West, which is uh, Queens Key West, just west of Spadina. So we're right downtown, right on the lake. We will do a lot of sailing in Toronto Harbor, and, but we'll go through the Western Gap and go all over the lake. Uh, we do have an extended cruising uh, program that's, that's part of our uh, blind sailing program. And we will, we've sailed as far as Port Dalhousie, which is right across the lake. We've sailed to Frenchman's Bay, to Bluffers Park Yacht Club, to Bronte Harbor. So we sail all over um, Toronto. Usually we'll do anything that can be done in five or six hours. I was going to ask, so is, it, is that a standard sailing trip, five or six hours out on the water? 
Well, so we have <clears throat> a typical day sailing trip would be about three hours usually. Okay. But for those that want to do more extended cruising, it's five to six hours. And then there's another group that want to do even more than that. So we'll, we will encourage people to do overnight cruising. Oh, that's beautiful. And so you can actually sleep on the boat if you're so inclined. Oh, that <laughs> would be me. Great. That would lull me to sleep because it does even in the day when we're on the boat. Uh, when I've had the experience to work with you guys, I've shot a couple of TV pieces and, of course, gone out on pleasure. I've dealt with my good friend there, Fred, over there, who's actually working or was working the table with you. I'm not sure if he's still yeah, over he's, there. He's still there. He's still there. Hello, Fred. Uh, he knows I love sailing with him. But one of the great things is when you get that chance to check out the boat, learn everything's to learn, and while we're out on the water, yes, you've got to know kind of what you're doing, but you get that opportunity. Oh, yeah, the other reason that I, I, I love going out with Fred is because he says I actually steer well. So <laughs> and that's one of the things I don't mind doing. But you get that experience and that chance to really get to know the boat. Yeah, and Kelly, one of, one of the important aspects is you can do as much or as little on the boat as, as you want to do. If you just want to sit and enjoy the ride. The ball game. That, yeah, <laughs> that, 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 that's up to you. Are you reception you want, out there? If you want to oh, steer yeah. and, and rig the sails and trim the sails and do everything you can do on the boat, we'll let you do that. And we have skippers who are able to teach you an awful lot about what the kinds of things you can do on a boat, maybe things you hadn't even thought about before. And if you screw up something with the sailboat, is there a backup one that we can hop onto? <laughs> we, do have, we do have two boats, but our... You our, stick your thumb out and say, help, somebody. <laughs> our, our, boats, our boats get out more than 100 times every year. Yeah. Wow. So they're, they're used to a lot of very rigorous... Um, use and abuse, That's if amazing. you will. And they look forward to the winter. Chris, uh, how long is the sailing season? It's... Basically, from early May until Thanksgiving weekend. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's really a lot of fun, both of these things. Myra, thank you very much for hanging out with us and filling us in on dragon boating. Thank you very much for having us. Uh, guys, we're going to take a break, folks. We just had president of CCB Dragon Boat Toronto, Myra Rodriguez, and Chris Jonas, president of Blind Sailing Canada. Lots of great activities. You can find them all online, ladies and gentlemen. And if you're in the Toronto area, get involved. But also remember, check out in your area where there might be a, a dragon boat team or some uh, blind sailing going on. And, of course, you can always reach out to these guys for some advisement. We're going to take a break on this AMI-audio live presentation from White Cane Week Expo 2019. We'll be right back. gentlemen we're back and we're broadcasting live from the ccb white cane week expo here in toronto center toronto at the uh miles nadal jewish community center right here at spadina and bluer so if you're hanging around toronto saying i want something to do everybody's welcome they also have a tech show at four o'clock following the main portion of the uh, stuff that's going on on the floor and uh, they would love to have you out here in any capacity to shake some hands wander around plenty of people i'm kelly mcdonald host of kelly and company weekdays 2 p.m eastern on ami audio my co-host ramia muthan right beside me you know Kels, we always talk about this on the show uh the inaccessibility in documents oh for sure web documents print documents all kinds of documents it's such a barrier uh when it comes to 
employment, education for people with disabilities, especially people with visual impairments. Well, and even if you can get it done, it's time. Exactly. It takes time. Exactly. And who do you go to? The other day, uh, Michael from the U.S. who reached out to us uh, over a voicemail asked, you know, how we deal with getting to inaccessible documents. You know, who do we reach out to? In 2019, what happens when it comes to these things? Well... Uh, when we talk about accessible documents, Onyx Canada has a solution that they're going to tell us a little bit about. Don Campbell joins us here on the show right now at the AMI Audio Broadcast. And she's the account manager for Onyx Canada. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me today. This is great. So I want to, you know, I talked a little bit about my uh, experience with inaccessibility, but why was Onyx Canada it's, uh, built and created? Yeah, well, Onyx actually, we opened a, Onyx is actually headquartered in Cleveland. So we have a Toronto office down in the Toronto Star Building that we started in 2013. But Onyx actually was founded in 1992. And we offer a whole host of cloud computing um, software solutions for companies and organizations. Now, I work, as, as you mentioned, uh, with Equidox and uh, as the account manager here in Canada. And I'm really bringing this technology back um, because I believe there is a big need for companies who have traditionally um, been used to saving and archiving so much information in PDF format. Yep. Um, and PDF format for anyone. And it's not just people with vision disabilities. No. I want to talk to you yeah. very quickly because, again, there's so much emphasis on that. But for anybody with learning disabilities, Absolutely. with dyslexia, anyone with temporary disabilities like concussions or head injury that might need the use of a screen reader to acquire information, PDF, Very true. traditionally, unless you build it right from the start and yes. you're an expert, yes. is a really inaccessible format. Agreed. When we talk about, I just want to back up to uh, Aquinox and, and the fact, of course, yeah. being in the States, just tell us a little bit about formulation, how this came to be that you're working here in Toronto for them, Cleveland-based, uh, and what we would say they do if someone says to you, what's the water cooler speech? <laughs> Absolutely. So what's unique about Equidox and our team is that our roots are actually here in Ottawa. Equidox oh. um, was actually the soft, we have, so let me explain something quick, is we have Equidox, which is our software solution. Mm -hmm. We have a PDF conversion service where our experts do it in-house, and we also have other accessibility services. So when I talk about Equidox, our software solution, it has some roots in Ottawa because it was created in response to the Donna Jordan Charter Challenge. Right, wow. which was a government yes. uh, charter. charter. Donna, if you're listening, yeah. and Donna, if you're listening, hear this, you're responsible. Absolutely. <laughs> it was. It was because at that time the government had to respond and they had to, and they, we worked with Treasury Board and some other government departments at that time to create a solution that would take all of this archived PDF for departments and turn it into an HTML file. Wow. wow. Right? So it's, that's where our roots were. Now, uh, now uh, shortly after that, uh, Equidox got acquired by Onyx, headquartered in the States. And so primarily we've been doing a lot of work. Uh, our sales have been you know, going through the roof around the United States because of the powerful accessibility legislation. Right, and so much backtracking now. Exactly. So 
So I've joined, I actually just recently joined the Equidox team here this past September because I made a great pitch, of course, to our director of sales, Pat Needles, and said, it's time. We need to bring this home to Canada because although we don't have specific mandated legislation in the way that the United States does, I know that there are enough companies and enough businesses being proactive and responding and wanting to make websites accessible. And I'm right. tempted to say one companies, but in, in, <laughs> real, in reality, can we talk about the types of companies? Like, who are we talking about? Giants, or are we talking local companies? Well, you know and what? This is this is what we're trying. This is what we're trying to figure out, right? And I think we're trying to figure this out together. And I'm trying to figure this out too, as an account manager for yeah. Canada. What is going to be the best vertical for this, right? And obviously, we know that governments, so, you know, I've been having a lot of conversations back in Ottawa with our federal government because we have, you know, accessibility legislation that is sitting in the Senate right now, yeah. right, that we all know about that's Which means coming. we need a compliant government to be the leader. Absolutely. And then we know we have different, different provinces have different provincial, not all of them, right, have that legislation. So I think... You know, I've had a lot of interest and a lot of conversations from that, but I'm also having a lot of conversations with post-secondary institutions, right? Why, you know, I had a good friend of mine um, who lives here in Toronto who went to a college for two years, and what the college didn't know about, he, he is blind, has a guide dog, went independently. It took him two years to get into his college program to start. And then after he got in and he graduated, what I found out from his mother was that his mother was spending like 20 hours a week oh, taking, no. taking, like 20 to 40 hours a week, taking the content, right, from his courses no. and, and having to cut and paste and put it into a format that was accessible for him. And that was beyond everything that yeah. the college was already trying to do in wow. terms of remediation. Wow. Right? And so that was his barrier. The barrier wasn't the physical environment. The barrier was keeping him up, right? And that can't happen. Like you, no. Not everybody does, has a though, mother no. who has 40 hours a week to be remediated. Yeah. So that's a really interesting one is post-secondary. Yeah. Government, post-secondary. And then again, of course, companies, banks. I'm starting to have conversation with some banks that they're pretty, again, very well set in terms of accessibility um, for their customer-facing materials. But there's a lot of companies are starting to look internally around internal governments. How do documents flow between departments? Because if you're exactly. going to be an equitable hire uh -huh. and, you know, and preach equitable hiring practices, we also need to think about governance around document accessibility internally. Now, this would also, of course, as we talk governments, educational institutions, we have to talk about the little guys that are saying, yeah, that's great. I want to be compliant. I would love to be able to do that's some right. of these things. Uh, Onyx, how do I afford it? That's right. Absolutely. So come talk to me for sure. I mean, we have um, the software solution. We have a PDF remediation service. The software solution, if you're thinking about the long-term investment, is obviously the most economical way to go. We have not-for-profit rates for our licenses. So, I mean, we do try and work, and we're trying to work very, I'm trying to work with a lot of local organizations too, um, in exchange for just telling people about our product and our services, right? Because part of what we have to do is create some awareness within these communities that would benefit. So that way when, you know, a member of CNIB, for example, goes to apply for a job and that job place has to figure out how to 
um, accommodate that person, right, and, yeah. and understand what those needs are, then this could be a potential solution too. So I'm just trying to tell anybody and everybody who will listen to <laughs> this important. Right? Well, is, uh, could you speak to some kind of um, turnaround time, or does it really depend on everything? What do you mean turnaround so, time in terms of? So if, a, if an organization comes to you and says, um, we need, you know, PDF conversion, conversion. we want to use your services yeah. uh, to make these documents accessible, is there some scale of turnaround time that you can speak to? Well, it depends on whether, again, there's kind of, t I can speak to two. One mm -hmm. is our software. So the difference between our software and what currently exists is the learning curve associated with it. So in about three hours, and I use myself as a primary example of someone who, I know my Microsoft Windows, but I was not, I did not go through school to be a, uh, anything to do with right. technology right, or digital technology. And so, you know, in around three hours, I can be confidently making my PDFs accessible using wow. our software tool. We, ha we offer three hours of training with every license purchase. That's because three hours is really going to get you enough to really get going with it, which that's is incredible. an incredible learning curve compared to what's out there. Now, you in bet. terms of the remediation service, that's different. And again, we have a team of experts, and it's an excellent portal. I send you, you upload your documents, we give you a quote, you approve it, and we get to work on it. So that's, right, two different processes. Well, and you got those challenges if you're talking post-secondary, you know, an institution, school, uh, whether it's somebody in their business and somebody looking for some web compliance help. And well, and this is just it. And, and so I think the other piece that I'd like to mention, though, too, is it's really important for companies to be asking about, yes, the compliance piece of it, but, you know, it is completely possible to make a Wicked compliant 2.0 document and it be not user friendly exactly. for the end user. Yeah. So that yeah. when you talk to Equidox and when you talk to my team, we speak so much about the usability aspect more so than the compliance. Okay. Yeah, and it's, as you talked about right at the top, it's more than one kind of disability situation story that you're dealing with, right? So many, so many stories. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, we live, we know the statistics. We live in yeah. an aging population, betcha. right? And like we have more and more seniors. I have a granny who's 90 who uses <laughs> an iPad. And less people, <laughs> like, less people out there saying we can't do. Granny isn't saying that anymore. Yeah. And young people are, are saying, I aspire to do this. Help me figure Absolutely. that out. How do they reach out to you? That's right. Absolutely. Well, certainly you can check out our website, which is just www.equidox.co. Um, and again, my email is dawn, D-A-W-N, at onyx, O-N-I-X, net, N-E-T, dot com. Fantastic. So, and I have a booth over at number five, so anybody can find me here at the expo today. Cool. Dawn, thank you so much. Uh, this is a really important service. We're really glad to have learned about it today on the show. Thank you so much. Dawn Campbell joined us today. She's the uh, Canadian Account Manager for Onyx Canada, their Equidox services, and we were talking about their services uh, that she mentioned. In a moment, when we return from the break, we're going to chat with the founder of the Checkered Eye. Uh, this is Libby Thaw, and we're going to see what's going on, what's new with the project right after this. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this AMI-audio live presentation from Toronto. 
We are at the White Cane Week Expo at the uh, Miles Nadal Jewish Community Center, Bloor and Spadina. Look at this. This woman's putting a coat on as if it's cold it in here. It is freezing in here. <laughs> it's uh, kind of like, you know, I'm, sta- I'm sitting here and it's like this sleeve comes by. You want to feel the fur? It's nice and furry. Too. No, because then I'll have to take it off and put it on my, um, all right, around Don't my wrist. Don't you dare. <laughs> We've been here, ladies and gentlemen. We started our program at 1 p.m. Eastern time. And if you are looking for this as a podcast, uh, look for it under AMI Audio Live. If you haven't subscribed to the AMI Audio Live podcast, please do so. And you can listen to this broadcast at your leisure at uh, some of the time if you can't stick with us for the rest of the program. Uh, speaking of programs, last year... Uh, we've had the opportunity to bring Libby Thaw on board, and I've, I've known Libby for a while. I've had her talking in different uh, incarnations of programming through the accessible media world, and we know Libby from being the creator of the Checkered Eye, and we're going to get Libby to kind of just refresh our memory about it as the founder. Libby, nice to have you here. Nice to be here. And in person, as we were saying on the break, yeah. folks, last time we had you over the phone, um, Libby, let's go back and talk a bit about the checkered eye for people who may not be familiar. Sure. Uh, well, the checkered eye is a wearable symbol for people like me who are partially blinded and often mistaken as fully sighted. So if I'm using my white cane, people understand that I can't see well, but I only use it as a symbol. Mm. So I use it in traffic. Uh, and then, say, if I'm inside the building or the mall or whatever, I don't need my cane I don't use it to feel around. So if I put it away, then people don't realize that I have a vision impairment. So now I can wear the checkered eye symbol, and it lets people know that I can't see very well. So okay. the symbol itself, if you've never seen it, it's uh, it's a white circle. It has a simple line drawing of an eye, and the iris, the round, the part that's normally blue or brown, that part is black and white checkers. And it also has the words low vision on it. Okay. So it's also available in French and Thai. Oh, oh wow. Yeah, that's a really exciting thing. Yeah, <laughs> I know you're cool. going to ask me about that. Yeah, yes. you know we're going to want to know Thai. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did that happen? Well, last, I think it was just after White Cane Week last year, uh, the Low Vision Association of Thailand contacted me oh, man. and said, hey, we would like to start an awareness effort over here. That's incredible. And I said, thank you very much. I guess yes, so. Yes, please go ahead. And um, they, they sent me things. We did a little back and forward to figure out exactly how the wording would be on the, uh, the Thai checkered eye because the, the Thai language is kind of long. Mm-hmm. So at first they were going to have low vision at the top and then Thai language at the bottom uh, saying low vision. So we were going to have English and Thai. But then we, we both agreed, you know what, it's just too much lettering. So just go with Thai if you're in Thailand. Wow. I, you know, I kind of wonder, and it's interesting because, of course, first thing you think of, well, how do they know? How did they reach out to you? But Libby, when you started this, the Internet's what the Internet was, and, uh, you know, getting things out there. We were always saying, how do we get the word out? That was a bulk of our, our conversations the first few times we'd ever talked about mm-hmm. the checkered eye. How has it changed with social media and everything the way it is now? Just amazing. I mean, anybody can broadcast around the world, essentially. Yeah, right? they let us do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so you guys are leading the way. And all, <laughs> of, all of us amateurs, even just with... A, a website or social media. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm on a few uh, discussion groups and support groups for uh, blind and visually impaired people, uh, people with the same condition as I have, Stargardt's disease. And, uh, you know, so even just word of mouth uh, across the Internet can be international. I'm curious to know, because the white cane has been around forever, right? Yeah. And like you said, even if you're not actually considering yourself to be a white cane traveler or a user because there are times when you don't necessarily need the white cane and you're using it just as a symbol yeah but it's been around forever so it's a default method of people communicating that way um how did you end up making this the alternative the checkered eye well i wouldn't say it's an alternative i'd say it's an additional option Mm -hmm. uh but the the rationale in the very beginning of it was um because of I got in a conversation with some people who said they were either uh, accused of faking it by because they were using a cane but also had useful yeah. sight, or they were um, there was other <laughs> uncomfortableness, shall we say, because somebody didn't realize they had a vision impairment because they did not have their cane. People listening all over are nodding their heads right now. <laughs> yes, Absolutely, I know, and. Um, there were other scenarios, uh, like say people who use a walker or a wheelchair, and in that case, it's hard to use a cane as well, and especially if all you need it for is the symbolic mm-hmm. communication function. So there were lots of people. Uh, I've, I've I've made some custom checkered eyes for people to put on walkers. <laughs> nice. And uh, you know there are all kinds of various situations. Also, uh, say somebody who has. Um, a brain injury, uh, or something else that hinders their ability to speak. So if they're not using a cane in that case, and they can just point to their checkered eye, just to give that one little data point, Yes, uh, it's, it's useful for lots of different scenarios and lots of different people. How about the progression of open mind and acceptance instead of we see a lot now with service animals, the battles going on of legitimacy and so on. Yeah. Uh, we often say, well, governments, are they the people that have to accept something different as a symbol? Or is it within the community? And you, you, you're here at this event. Um, how have you found acceptance of the checkered eye? Uh, whether someone's saying, oh, well, you know, a, a symbol should be the white cane or an ID cane. Yeah, or there's stuff out there already. Yeah, Yeah. well, there was some actual hostility (laughs) at the beginning. Yeah, people... I remember that. (laughs) I know, I'm sure you do. There was um, uh, actual, like I said, hostility uh, efforts to just squash the effort. Um, But ultimately, uh, people, you know, the the rational uh, ideas prevailed. And people said, look, if you you don't like it, you don't have to use it. But if it is useful for somebody else... Why would uh, you begrudge that? Right. And also, um, if it's a bad idea, it will fail. You don't have to actually intentionally stop it. So here we are. It's almost 19 years old. um, And there are people using it in Canada, U.S., uh, New Zealand, Switzerland... England, and most recently in Thailand. Fantastic. Yeah, so it does meet an unmet need. The team, is it just you? Like, who? <laughs> how big is your team? Well, you know what? I have what I would call associates um, who are just individuals who wanted to help with the effort and have uh, got a supply available from, like, not, not necessarily people who have a business or a store or something, but they are the outlets in certain cities. 
Um, there are some stores who have checkered eyes available, and you can you can get them, order them online now. But yeah, some of the team <laughs> is really just uh, individuals through throughout the country, like very in. Uh, uh, not uh, we're all over the place uh, who just are uh, making checkered eyes available so they're not active uh, in any kind of you know promotion activities um, so yeah it really is kind of just me which uh, is great uh, you're doing a great job kinda. well but you know what <laughs> you, you bring up a good point because it's like almost 20 years I've been doing this yeah um, it's probably a good idea to have somebody else. Like, what if I... Uh... A succession plan. Yeah. That's what we'll call exactly. it. Uh, we won't go to where you were going to go. Uh, <laughs> Libby, when you first uh, came over to me today to make sure we knew you were around, you uh-huh. said, oh, gee, i got to rest the voice a little bit. Yep. So uh, juggling doesn't transfer well on radio, <laughs> but I know you do juggling and various other things, singing, playing. Um, oh, like literally juggling. Literally yeah. juggling. Oh, my yes. gosh, this is like amazing. Here, just hand her three of these I, waters. I think <laughs> I like yeah. juggling a few different things. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that and about Libby. Well, I, I love doing, uh, uh, when I would do uh, public speaking engagements, just talking about blindness or just disability in general, I loved to finish off by juggling because, you know, wow. if you, you think of this, this person is blind to whatever degree <laughs> and she's going to juggle? Holy cow. So that really catches people's attention. But it also demonstrates that um, just because you know one little thing about a person, like that they have some sort of disability, even if you know that the disability they have is with their vision, you really don't know what they can or can't do. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's a huge range uh, of types and degrees of blindness. So, so the fact that I, uh, you can describe my vision appropriately using the word blind... And I can juggle. <laughs> it's, it's a, a head twist. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you'll get those that say, she's not blind because, of course, yes, that, exactly. that belief. But you know what, Libby, the big thing I'm bringing it up for is the fact that not only are you versatile, but that's kind of what we're assembled here today, to show different things and that we're not all one mold. Exactly. Yeah. The, the blindness is a spectrum. Yeah. Do you have... Uh, a, sp- a particular way that you want to head with the with the checkered eye movement. Anything coming up next for you? Any big reach outreach things or uh, ways that you want to grow it? Well, with the checkered eye project, um, just recently, like in the past few months, I have been approached by several uh, low vision centers, mm-hmm. uh, and this is a great uh, opportunity for the checkered eye project because. Uh, they contacted me. I did not go seeking them out and writing them letters, which is <laughs> normally what I'm doing, is, you know, inundating people with correspondence. Say, come on, tell everybody, yeah. can you make these available as well? And I have been approached by unsolicited people coming to the Checkered Eye Project so they can find me now online or they're actually looking for me and they are uh, helping with the distribution and the awareness. That's Absolutely huge. Wonderful. Yeah. Huge. Libby, thanks a lot. Hey, my pleasure. Always wonderful. Uh, if people want to reach out to you, how? Checkereye.com. Awesome. I appreciate you being on our set today. Thank you. Uh, we've been talking to, of course, Libby Thaw, talking about the che- Checkered Eye Project, a symbol for people with low vision. Now, coming up in the next hour, we learn more about Inclusive Design Research Center, Vision Technology Service. Who are they? And how are they helping the blind community? We're going to hear the story behind an individual who has made a great business out of her experience with disability. We're talking to Denise Jessen. She'll be telling us all about 
say hello to blindness. But up next, let's get into a little more adaptive sports. We hang out with Craig Sparrell of the CCP Roadrunners chapter and Glenn Batcock of the uh, Ontario uh, vision-impaired golfers. That's all straight ahead as this AMI-audio live presentation of White Cane Week Expo 2019 continues. We'll be right back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're having a great old time where we are, and that's the White Cane Week Expo right here in Toronto, put on by the CCB Visionaries Chapter. Uh, I mean, this place is really hopping. Lots of people. They've been at it since 10 this morning with all sorts of organizations and vendors. If you're joining us from wherever you are in the country, welcome aboard wherever you may be. Lots of great stuff to learn about. I'm Kelly McDonald, host of Kelly & Company, weekdays 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern. Of course, also available via podcast. And, of course, my co-host sitting beside me, Ramya Amuthan. Uh, Ramya, you and I both had a chance to drift around, of course, talking to all sorts of old friends, but the place is crawling with people. Oh, my gosh, yeah. I think it got busier. I think it did. Uh, but the noise level in here is incredible in terms of, like, just how much people are walking around, really checking out services, familiar or unfamiliar. You're just uh, catching up with people around here, too. A lot of mingling. It's fantastic. Yeah, come by the AMI uh, marketing and communications table. If you sign up for the Accessible Media newsletter, you can get some swag from them. I've, uh, swag. Uh, yeah, some real good swag. We see all sorts of people drifting up and down the aisles and enjoying themselves. Also, remember that later in the day, there is going to be a tech panel that people can show up and, and hang out. And, uh, of course, we're always talking tech. And I know there's prizes they're giving away. I hear door prize stuff spewing out now as yep. we speak. There are some competitive uh, PA systems around here. And great Manimo <laughs> bars we had at lunchtime, but Ramya didn't. I didn't get any of that oh, yet. I'm sure there will be leftovers. Oh, I'm sure. We'll see. Anyway, <laughs> um, we are going to continue talking about some sports around here. And, of course, adaptive sports uh, always catches our attention on Kelly and company and in AMI in general. But uh, we're going to talk about Ontario Visually Impaired Golfers, OVIG. Glenn Babcock is... Babcock is joining us right now to talk about that. Hi. Hi. How are you? Great. Good. Um, so let's talk about what Ontario Visually Impaired Golfers is and uh, what your role is. Um, so Ontario Visually Impaired Golfers is promoting um, the sport of golf or recreation to um, blind and visually impaired people in Ontario. Um, we were named visually impaired golfers back in the late 1980s, and we went with visually impaired to try to be more inclusive. Mm -hmm. But uh, most blind golf organizations around the world are just called blind golf. So just to remove any confusion there, by visually impaired, we do mean legally blind or totally blind. If you're registered with the CNIB and you're interested in golf, then you can join our group. Wow. Uh, and we've always... Here on the show, we've had those discussions before as to vision impaired, uh, visually impaired. Uh, what do you want to know? Is blind or uh, sight impaired? Glenn, how long, I'm sorry, did you say the organization's been around since? In its current format, it's been around since the late 80s, but it actually goes back before that. I, I moved from Nova Scotia to Ontario in 87, and it already existed. Um, 
The first blind golf organization in Canada, I believe, was created in 1954. Wow. Unbelievable. Now, for your role, uh, what kinds of things do you do, and what is the role that that Glenn handles on a regular daily basis? Because I know these things are year-round, no matter what season it is. So um, my current role is president, or El Presidente sometimes. <laughs> is that when you're being evil, you get that? Usually, yeah. No, okay. That's not self-appointed, right? No. Okay. But, but when he I spread that rumor himself. Right. <laughs> when I first joined OVIG in 1988, the next year I was elected to the board, and I've been on the board ever since, so I've been everything. Secretary, treasurer, vice president, past president, president. Oh, my gosh. Member, no, member at out. large, handicap chairman, rules chairman. You when do you it. sleep? Okay. Uh, <laughs> I hate to see the hat collection you have. Fortunately, we, you know, despite the jokes, we don't usually play golf in the dark, so I can still sleep at night. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about how often uh, you guys play. It's recreational, so how often can people come out? So it, it's, we try to be everything to everyone, which isn't that easy with such a diverse group of people. So whether somebody wants to come out and just play nine holes recreationally or whether somebody wants to develop their game and become competitive, uh, we try to accommodate all of those people. Um, during the golf season, which typically runs in Ontario from May to October, we play about every two to three weeks on the weekends because that's when it's easier for people to get a volunteer to assist them. Um, so we have about nine events during the course of the year. We have a big fundraiser for one day in uh, Newmarket in July. We have a provincial championship, which is actually a competitive event, and that's three days of golf in a row, uh, and that's usually in mid-August. What are the goals of the group? I mean, obviously, to kind of be everything to everyone, but if somebody signs up or somebody's actively involved after each season, what is the success measured by, for the, whether it's the group or the individual? Well, I think our success really is just measured in terms of whether people have fun. Um, we're not trying to put any pressure on anybody. So we, when we organize our events, we organize them as a, as a full round of golf. But if somebody wants to just alternate shots with their coach or if they just want to play nine holes, if they want to come out for the meal before or afterwards and just socialize with people, we're, we're willing to promote all of that. In, in the end, we, just don't, we don't want people to feel uh, pressured. We just want them to be able to get what they want out of the game, and that's the beauty of golf. There's, I, a, there's a lot that you can do with it. I want to pick up on your uh, kind of promote the game that way. Uh, how wide, how, how far across Ontario yeah. do you find participation? Um, frankly, I think all sports-related organizations in Ontario deal with this. We have such a large province, and our population is grouped in a few key areas. So... We've tried to host events um, down into the southwest. We've tried hosting events in Ottawa. But for the most part, our, our golf events take place between London and Kingston. Um, we don't get to play in Toronto very much, even though the city of Toronto has offered a great deal for blind golfers to be able to play. The courses are just too busy. Blind golf, because you're playing with a coach um, and because... The golfers require some setup time. It's a bit slower than normal, and it just doesn't work well on busy courses. Okay. So most of the time we'll play on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon, some course a little bit outside of Toronto where it's a little quieter, a little more laid back, uh, and people can have more fun that way. I was going to ask uh, how you would pitch golf to someone who's never played, never tried it, never potentially even heard of it, um, but that in itself sounds great. Quiet, relax, take your time. For, some, for somebody who's never 
uh, played before, it's a bit of a challenge. You don't want to just take them out and put them on a golf course right away. There's, there's um, physical skills to learn. There's rules to learn. Um, so typically we would try to organize some lessons that somebody can come in, they, yeah. they can work with their coach, they can establish a routine, they can learn a little bit about the game, and then we'll get them out for maybe they'll alternate shots with somebody right. and ease their way into the game that way. And, and if, they, if they get interested, we can take them uh, all the way to a world championship. Oh, well, sounds like a want, plan. That's where they want to go. So if you're in Cayuga, Ontario, and you want to do this, whether you've been experienced or new, do you look for your own coach, and how does that work, and how do they get to you guys? Every once in a while, we will get volunteers uh, who are interested in meeting up with a, a blind golfer either for a couple of days out of the year or maybe on a more permanent relationship. Um, but it's generally easier if you can find somebody in your life, somebody that you like to spend time with. Um, get them out. And, and have them involved. So we've had, we've had blind golfers come out with their kids. We've had, you know, we've had children as young as seven or eight years old out there with their visually impaired parents helping That's them amazing. on the course. Well, uh, I, we have golfers as old as 88, 89 who are still out there with their family members. That's so. amazing. Uh, before we run out of any time, I want to get uh, someone else to talk about a little bit uh, a, a different adaptive sport. Craig Epsparel is joining us. He's the president of the CCB Roadrunners chapter. Thanks for joining us, Craig. Well, thank you. Nice to be here. Nice to, he, uh, to have you on the show. Uh, let's start a little bit about the opportunities that the Roadrunners chapter provides for people with disabilities. Tell us a little bit about the group. Well, we are a group for and of people who are blind. We take people from the starting right from the sofa up to the first 5K half or full marathon. Oh, that's unbelievable. That's really good. Now, how long have you been working with the chapter? Craig, I know you have got running experience for a number of years. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. So I've been running for about uh, four years, and we started this chapter. This chapter is brand new, so we just started like a month or two ago. And how much has it grown in terms of participation? Um, on our Sunday morning runs, we usually get 15 to 20 people nice. out. Is that every Sunday? Um, sometimes fewer, sometimes a little bit more. Wow. But to see 14 to 18 people is pretty well a normal Sunday. That's incredible. And how far is that weekly run? Um, it's, it depends on what people are doing. Some people are doing their 5K, 10K. Um, oh, I'm training for Boston, so I'm having to do more in the 16 to 20. Okay. And we've got a couple of people who are doing um, training up for ultra marathon next month, and they're you're doing 40 and 50k runs. Wow, that's unbelievable. It's crazy. It's My good. gosh, that's amazing. So when you say Boston, are you mean Massachusetts or Ontario? Because <laughs> I know they both have the races, right? I remember that years ago. I, I didn't didn't know that. I think but Boston, Ontario still does theirs, I think. I, I, I First, I heard of Boston, Ontario. <laughs> Might be a lot cheaper. I better check my tickets. I was just going to say, you may want to be sure. Um, but that four years of running, and this is what you're doing, but you also mentioned people just saying, hey, i got to get off the couch and get into running. Talk about that kind of encouragement and stuff that you're, you guys are doing to get that person to feel confident in themselves. Um, well, the person needs to want to be able to do it. Of course. Right? So we're yeah. not there to, quote, encourage, but right. we're, we're, we're there to enable and support. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if someone says, look, I need to be more active, then we're going to help them. It's like, come on out, just try it, and here's our story, right? We all started somewhere. When I started, I could walk for a minute, so, and then I could run for a minute. And I could only run for about a minute, and then I had to stop. And that's how people start um, running. And you learn to, learn to run program. starts off a minute of walking, a minute of running. Then eventually you run two minutes, and you walk a minute. And you slowly build up to the point where 
you just keep running. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, for people who come out, are they able to get guides or is some kind of um, accessibility if, and accommodation if they need it? So, so what I do is I really work with each person, whether it's the sighted guide or the blind runner. Right. I say, okay, what are your goals? Where are you? Let's just get you out and, and see what, where things are. And then I try to match the volunteer with the, the, the blind runner. So if it's a volunteer who's sighted and they're just learning to run themselves, that's perfect for someone who's just starting to run. Sure. And they kind of grow up as a team together. That's incredible. Right? What about the volunteers? If somebody's listening in right now and says, man, I want to do that at a volunteer level, uh, do they do the same reaching out? That someone who is that person who's new hears that, hey, these guys are making this possible. Right. So, I want to get involved. So they'll reach out to me. So uh, uh, blind runners, sorry, blindroadrunners at gmail.com. Uh, any special right. events that you want to throw out, out there? Do you guys do any special runs together? Uh, we do a June run called the uh, Midtown 20, the M20. And that's okay. a 5, 10, or 20K run that we do each year. Okay. And that's sort of our fun in-house run. And then everything else is sort of the, the main running events that are out there, whether it's Ottawa Marathon or Boston or Vancouver. We've, we've done them all. Wow. Uh, and how about in terms of growth? You said this is a newer chapter. Uh, what are you looking for in terms of growth, or is it just doing what it's doing? It's, it's just going to do what it does, and we'll see where it goes. So, so the ideal is right now we're Toronto-based, but we'll work with anyone, anywhere. So I get calls from people in Vancouver. I get calls from people in the East Coast, and we'll do what we can to help them out. Yeah, this is really awesome. Uh, thank you guys both for coming on. Craig is F. Sparrell, president of uh, CCB Roadrunners thank Chapter, you. as well as Glenn Babcock. Thank you, too. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, visually, uh, Ontario visually impaired golfers. Both of them joined us to talk about two incredible adaptive sports. We're going to keep things moving on on this AMI Audio Live presentation. Coming up next, we learn more about Inclusive Design Research Center Vision Technology Service. Who are they and how are they helping the low vision and blind community? Hang in, we'll find out. Welcome back to the Miles Nadal Jewish Community Center in Toronto for this White Cane Week event. We're kicking things off here in Toronto in style with the Visionaries, and it is the Expo. Wonderful event that they've been doing for a few years. Lots of people out today checking out the different organizations. And uh, you know what? We're doing the same thing on this broadcast. I'm Kelly McDonald, host of Kelly & Company with Ramya Muthan beside me. And Ramya, we're just getting so much information and so much of it so cool to know about and i don't care where you are what you're doing it's so inspiring to think hey man let's get that going absolutely i remember when i first looked at the lineup of exhibitors coming over and we had to pick like potentially just eight people to come on the show I'm like, how? Well, yeah, you so feel many. bad because yeah. there's so many of the organizations. This is our Aww. way, too, of sucking up to everybody, making them we understand. We couldn't fit all of you in here. <laughs> you know, and they're just now like, talk to the hand, guys. Talk to the hand. <laughs> yeah, right? uh, but it is so true, and that's why for people that can, and we've had people approach us from London, from Oshawa. I've talked to different uh, listeners of the network, uh, and it's really wonderful to have all of you out there and uh, see so many people around. But let's carry on the program, ladies and gentlemen. Joining us now to chat about Inclusive Design Research Center, Vision Technology Service is Lorna Lowe, occupational therapist. Lorna, welcome to the program. 
Thank you. Thanks for having me. So let's start with how you got your start as an occupational therapist. Oh, you're going way back. <laughs> now, I know the memory works enough. If mine does, yours will. <laughs> so I've been working in, uh, as an occupational therapist for over four, probably about 20 years now. So I've always worked in technology in some capacity. Um, I graduated from U of T way, way back. Um, and initially, I had started working in technology for communication aids for people with physical impairments. So I come from uh, a very long history from that side of things. And then last year, um, I started with the Vision Technology Service. So it's kind of a sideways jump in terms nice. of technology. Yeah. So now I'm kind of incorporating the um, technology that I experience that I have from the physical um, impairment side of things and combining that with the vision technology side of things. So it really makes for a nice fit because uh, we're dealing with ADP funding um, in the same category of equipment. And um, we're looking at the person's um, abilities from all aspects, so not just vision, but also from physical as well. So in your current role, what do you do? So I'm one of the ADP assessors for um, high-tech equipment. So um, within the Inclusive Design Research Center is the Vision Technology Service. Um, So we are a, a component of that service. So I'm looking at assessing people for their uh, high technology needs um, from, for uh, ADP funding purposes, so seeing if they meet criteria for ADP funding. So when we think about people who, and we'll stick with those of us in the vision-impaired world who say, ah, every five years I, through ADP in, in Ontario, I can get uh, assistance and, and get a computer and that kind of thing. Let's see what I need. I have to go and someone will assess me. Do you handle that kind of situation? Are we also looking at somebody maybe, I won't say an employment situation, but more educational, somewhere where somebody has the need for that help, but they're not going to be told, well, no, 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 the computer's got to sit at home. How does that work? I think there's, well, we offer services in two streams. So there is the personal side of things, which is what we look for ADP funding for, which is the personal side of things. And The nice thing about ADP is that they do recognize that the computer does not have to stay at home. Your equipment does not have to stay at home. You you, people will need to use their equipment in the community, and most likely are. Yeah, and they are because they have no choice. A lot of them. Definitely, things are a lot more portable now, so it makes sense. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, we all use our computer in in different places. Coffee shop, whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. So definitely, as long as there is a personal component in terms of your needs, I think that's really what ADP is looking for. They're not looking at restricting you from using the the computer only at home. Whereas I think in the educational um, institutions, they are looking at using the equipment just at home. Um, So oftentimes we have students coming in to see us because their, their computer that they got for school, um, they're not allowed to bring it at home. So that's where kind of ADP funding can fill in that gap and having a system that kind of mirrors the system that they're using at school so that they have the the same equipment to do their schoolwork at home. Uh, Now, are we just talking computers or are there other technology that you guys cover as well? So there, it's reading and writing aids. So Mm -hmm. we cover everything that's on that high technology list in the ADP, in the ADP list of equipment. So we have like the CCTVs, we have the, um, the daisy reader, um, we have all the computer equipment, all the adaptive devices uh, and software for the computer equipment, um, the Braille devices, um, so everything in that high-tech list. Okay. A product comes out, you guys say, wow, there's some need for this, this is really cool. 
but it's not covered yet. Is there a role that you guys are able to play? Um, because we often hear this when we talk to people. How do you let ADP know there's something that they should consider and, and, and put on the list? We know it's a long process. Do you guys have any part in that? That's something I think I'm still sorting out. I mean, definitely um, there is a yearly report that I communicate um, general trends with ADP, and that's one avenue that I can provide information to ADP in terms of what people are using, what is available, um, and any changes in terms of technology. But as you said, you're right. Um, Things on that ADP list do move very slowly. Um, A lot of things, I think, that gets added to the ADP list, it's really up to the manufacturers to make that application to ADP. And um, Which is kind of hard in the one sense. You want their endorsement, their support. Obviously, they're going to say, yes, please, put my product on there. But you also know from your experience who's coming to you and the stuff that you're saying, wow, this would really help this person. Oops, it's not covered. Yeah, that, that does happen quite a bit. And I think we almost have to look at ADP as it's, it's one source of funding. Uh-huh. Um, right. and it's, not gonna, it's definitely not going to meet all your complete needs. I mean, everybody's supplementing, you know, kind of their technology with their own, you know, other sources of funding or their own funding. I mean, the phone is the big one. I mean, mobile phones, yeah. you know, provide so much independence yes. for people. It's all about and portability. And, yep. yeah. Everything from Braille to, to your large print needs. Yeah, and mm-hmm. that's not covered by ADP, and I don't think that's something that they're looking at covering. Um, but it's definitely something that's very useful for for our clients, and it's something that I would encourage people to use because it gives them so much more independence. Any uh, other partnerships, collaborations, organizations that work hand-in-hand with you? We work closely with, uh, or I work closely with some of the other assessors in communication aids clinics. So those are the the clinics that look at um, adaptive aids for um, communication for physical impairment. So um, we have clients that have vision loss and other um, physical impairments as well. So it's nice to coordinate both those systems and both those fundings and so that we can get clients kind of a system that kind of fulfills all their needs. Um, and we have some of that equipment in our clinic as well. So clients who do need other types of adaptive equipment, we have that available so that we can kind of put together a system that works for them. That's really amazing because you do all that testing. So what's a general test look like? I mean, I know most of us sit down, talk, what we can or can't see. But somebody new to you, what would you put them through in the way of the paces and what are you looking for? It's more of, a, of an interview and a functional assessment, so I'm not... Um, doing the tests that an optometrist would be doing, but it's more about finding out the person's needs, um, finding out what's worked for them, what hasn't worked for them, um, finding out what they need their equipment for, and really matching them and providing them with the options that's available to them and seeing what matches their needs. So it's a very personal kind of assessment, um, very personal type of interview. Um, It can range anywhere from an hour and a half to to three hours depending on what the person needs because it can cover both reading and writing devices and sometimes that might take a little bit longer. Um, so it really depends on, on the person. We really customize it for the person. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. On a day like today uh, at an event like the CCB White Cane Week, um, your representation here, what does it mean for the community? What are you, uh, or you know, who are you trying to target today? I think we want people to know that we are here to, that, that there is assistance available for Ontarians if they need equipment. 
Um, I, I'm, I'm always kind of surprised because I've worked in this area for so long that there yeah. are people that don't know. Well, I was just going to ask you, you run into a lot of people that can come, don't even know equipment, let alone assistance. Yeah, yeah. and I want people to know that this is, this is something that the government offers for all Ontarians. Um, and we provide the service for, for people of all ages. Um, so from preschool to um, adults to older adults. So I just want people to know that this funding exists. And if you can get this equipment and it will help you with your reading and your writing and your independence and all those other things that's important in your life, why not, why not use this? It's really, uh, and it is so scary when you know so many of us just don't know. And I know it takes that moment that you're actually ready to listen. Maybe somebody is going to walk up to you today and they're in that situation at what? Whereas other times they might have walked by or, oh, that's that's nice to know, that's nice to know. Um, But it must really totally surprise you, Lorna, with these people who come in and just the feeling you get when I've made someone's day because we can do something here. Yeah, and I think it's important that people know that, you know, that this funding exists. Um, and they don't have to do this on their own, and we can, and we're also aware of other funding that's available. So hopefully, we can kind of help coordinate, you know, the resources for that person and help maneuver that maneuver them around, you know, our our system because it, it can get really confusing oh, for somebody yeah. to know what resources are out there um, and what's available for them. We want to make sure that people, you know, decide why people are here today and all the services that come together here today is that. It's really to, you know, just to educate and provide information to people so that they know what services exist for them. Where can people go for more information to learn things? Um, well, we have our booth here today, um, so definitely come by and see us. Um, we do have a website as well. I think you have that information Yeah, it'll somewhere. be up on our blog, ami.ca. <laughs> um, but we are part of, I think something that a lot of people aren't aware of is that we are part of the Ontario College of Art and Design. Um, so if you access, you know, maybe their website, you might be able to find us through there. We're under the Inclusive Design Research Center. Um, and we're not here just to serve um, students of OCAD. I think that's something that people oh, okay. often, yep. yes. often don't understand. We're, we're just, yep. We just happen to be housed in OCAD, okay. um, but we're a service that's for all Ontarians. Awesome, Lauren. Thank yeah. you so much. Appreciate the time. Thank you very Good much for having me. luck here today. Lorna Lowe, Occupational Therapist, Vision Technology Services, Inclusive Design Research Center, speaking about their services and programs. We're going to take a break and return in just a moment more from the White Cane Week Expo 2019 here in Toronto. Welcome back to the Experience Expo right here. It's White Cane Week, ladies and gentlemen. Well, really, Ramya, it's the kickoff as Ramya and I sit here uh, at our booth, right here at our set, uh, right here at the event. And it's just full of great stuff, lots of people, organizations, and experiences that you can have and organizations you can learn all about. Miss Amuthan? Yeah. Yeah, it's really it's a, so a busy good. day here. It's a really, real busy day and uh, packed with people as I'm 
checking out right now. We have the social coming up later. That's I, it's funny you mentioned. I was just thinking, gee, we haven't really said anything about no, that. The which social. is the capper of the day. Oh my gosh! In the evening, they uh, welcome and open up the doors for people to just come hang out and visit. Anyone's invited. Uh, they like people to RSVP, but they seem pretty lax around here today. Yeah. I bet you you could sneak in quite easy because they were roaming, roaming around saying, "Hey, you coming to the social?" <laughs> yeah, there's the tech <laughs> panel at 4 p.m. and then the social afterwards. Uh, someone who's here and having a real fun time with Pal Reading Services. Well, Danielle? somebody we're not really familiar. It's our first time meeting her. <laughs> Danielle McLaughlin. I recognize you guys. Show. It's so nice to see you. And on a Saturday, <laughs> I too. I know. It's rare. It's rare. It's a it's a rare yeah. thing to get a Kelly and Ramya sighting on a Saturday. That's for sure. <laughs> when we did our W. Ross thing, was that a Saturday, Danielle, when you came out? I don't remember no, what day. Friday. I think it was, it was a Friday. Friday. Yeah. 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 Yeah, me thinking about it, too. i got to tell like, you, I, I have so much fun with you guys. I'd come out any day of the week. Oh. I really would. Oh, we like that. <laughs> yeah. How, how are you doing? Like, did you check out the room? I, I have. The, you know what? One of the things that is really wonderful is the networking that's going on oh, be, yeah. between and among the different organizations. Yeah. I discovered that I'm there for PAL reading, which I'm going to plug at the moment because it is an Go absolutely ahead. wonderful service uh, that is free. Uh, it is available to people who have print challenges of any sort. And if the book is that you want or the manual or the text isn't available uh, as an ebook or as a an audio file just bring it to pal reading they will uh, put it onto uh, an audible format volunteers do the reading so you get a real live human reading it nice and uh, they will be given back to you either emailed or sent on disc and uh, we're reading just about anything you can possibly imagine how many people to your knowledge use this service I don't know because it's been around since the 70s. What, 72? Yeah, wow. so a long, long time. Yeah. And during that period of time, it's got to be hundreds and hundreds. Yeah, yeah. 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 We, we, when we had volunteers uh, reading for us at the service at uh, the old voice print, for example, yeah. uh, we had many people that did double duty with CNIB and PAL reading service. And it's just tremendous quality. The people, the the, the fun they would have. And Danielle, oh, you can attest so, to this. I you love enjoy it. it. I love it. And I reading. have read things I'd never be have even known to read before. You know, I'm, I've read math texts and recipe books. I've read uh, books about sailing, our friend Jasmine. Uh, and yes. I've, I've read just, you know, I, I, I read about Elvis. Who knew? You know? Yeah. <laughs> but the, the thing that's wonderful is many of these groups haven't really known about one another. And we're, we're walking around and sharing and trading information. So people are going to be promoting other group services and which is only going to benefit the blind and low vision you community. Bet. What a strength. What a way to make it. And there's so many different services in this room that are saying, hey, man, we can do that. I can do hey, we can work together. Yes. Uh, Danielle, we've got to take the moment here to kind of mention your history with PAL Reading because I think it's pretty cool. And we're in a really nice position where you have been involved. You've read, but you're also a part of the board. I am. I was um, uh, elected to the board uh, about gee, when um, <laughs> a few a few months ago, actually, oh, nice. and I'm loving it. I've become very involved, and I, I realized that when I was snowed in, and I was snowed in, I spent a lot of time doing stuff for PAL reading because I could do that from my computer and with a blanket over me. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's they're just a wonderful, wonderful group of people. The staff are absolutely devoted and the volunteer board is equally devoted and some of the some of the readers 
have been reading for Powell for over 30 years. Oh, my gosh. And they are very gifted people, you know? So, so do you go once a week? Do you read? I usually read once a week. And then if I if something comes up and I miss it, I'll go twice the following week. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah. It's kind of like the karaoke of reading. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Say, it is so, it's like a club. And it is. The giftedness, as I've learned over the years from dealing with Powell, from dealing with readers that we've encountered through work, the skill, like you said, there are so many. You know how you find that. Diamond and the Rough Singer at a karaoke, and you find that in abilities for reading, too. Well, it's funny. There's an audition process for volunteers, um, and, you know, the people who get through that are people who've often done some something in the line of Field. reading aloud. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm not a mathematician. But I married somebody with great math facility, and I have to say, somebody once said, "You don't have you don't have to be a mathematician; you can marry one." <laughs> that's and, right. Which is almost like marrying a calculator. That's right. Marrying rich? That's right. It beats marrying rich. He's not rich, but boy, can he ever read formula out loud? Right. <laughs> so he, he's been very help, very very helpful. Thank well, goodness. And I think that is one of the really things. There's a lot of people who it kind of. You're filling the need of want, of being able to volunteer. You're helping somebody you know that, that you're doing that. But you also get to get in there, read a variety of things, and enjoy a hobby yes. that you love so it's much. It's so wonderful. And I'll tell you, sitting here today, I have had encounters with a number of people for whom I've read books. Yeah. And oh, it's my just, God. And, you know, there, there, there are a few people who are sitting themselves at booths for other organizations, and they, you know, they come by and they said, you read such and such yeah. for me, and I really enjoyed it. And I just, it makes me want to rush back and do more reading. Narrator, celebrity. That's what we call exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> there was a, another rewarding thing that you shared with us, not on Kelly and Company Live, but during one of the vanity cards that we put in our full uh, podcast experience that somebody recognized your voice. That's right. Right. What was it from Kelly and Company or from, from Powell Kelly, Reading? From Kelly and Company at Powell Reading. There you go. Somebody, somebody said, "Wait a minute, are you Danielle?" <laughs> and I said, well, "How would you know that?" She said, "Because I listened to you on Kelly and Company. Yeah. I never miss Kelly and Company. <laughs> so wonderful." Honestly, we talk about the the prospect of people, you know, even specifically in the blind low vision community, falling through the cracks for different services, right? For certain things because uh, there's services all around the spectrum, but maybe missing out a little bit here and there in what they need specifically. That's right. And I feel like Powell Reading Services is one of those niche uh, communities. Well, it is because, you know, I mean, a lot of people are learning technologies, yes. but some of us of a certain age right. find that learning technologies, are, it's very difficult. Like, you know, we can't do everything this Ramya who can, uh, you know, wear high heels and tap dance back backwards can do yeah, and can. sing at the same time, <laughs> sing well, the same time. off air That's right. I, I mean i, I am completely blown away by you guys and being able to listen to four different things at once <laughs> and understand them all i it's way beyond Sometimes we me. pretend. <laughs> yeah, right. Some, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, people of a certain age, who've had some, maybe some people have had a very favorite book, and that book isn't available on, on an, in an audio format. They can bring the book and say, could you read this aloud, please, to Pal? And Pal will find a volunteer, no matter what kind of book it is, and suddenly they'll, they will gain access to something that they've loved all their lives, and they they have had lost it. And I've done that in a number of cases where people have had, you know, very favorite books that were, you know, out of print. And this is a way of getting back to that book. So what, for me, what's well, the um, longest they, thing you've ever read? Do you know? What is the Remember? longest thing? Well, there was a biography of Elvis that was pretty long. Yeah. <laughs> Does it matter on the length or is it no. the type? Like, I mean, it could yeah. take you longer, obviously, to handle That's those math, right. that math. Yeah. Well, right now, I'm in the process of reading a law book 
Um, oh my which goodness! Is right about up your alley. Yeah, well, I love it. It's yeah. about indigenous land rights. I one chapter that I just read had 138 footnotes. Oh and my I thought, gosh! Holy smoke! You know, <laughs> oh my so that was that. And it, I mean, it didn't look like that much. It was maybe you know 25 to 30 pages, but. Holy smoke. <laughs> when it comes to down to the like logistics of things, right? Yes. Like if I needed something read for me and uh, I reached out to Powell Reading, uh, can I say, would I be able to get this in two weeks or make you a know, request? That, and, and the answer is that depends, right? So, you know, I mean, if you were a student in a course and you had to have it before the, yeah. the course finishes, um, they might be able to, to put a, a hurry up on it. Most of the stuff that, that Pal gets isn't in that category. So people are told, well, you know, as soon as we can, we will get to your book yep. and we'll read it as, as rapidly as we're able to do that. But, um, you know, there have been, been reasons that, that people will need something faster. Right. If, it's, if it's a book for just the joy of reading, uh, they, people probably don't need it instantaneously. Right. And do but, you have a, uh, like as the organization, do you guys have a kind of deadline or time frame that you try to follow? Uh, you know, I don't know the answer to that. I leave that to the fabulous staff people. Derek and Mark are, are the two staff people. And when you phone Powell Reading, you will speak to one of one of the two, most likely Mark, who, who answers first. And he can he can tell people what, what things look like that week, for example. Yep. So, you know, I don't know if, you know, one month is busier than another month. Um, and it depends on so many things, you know, are volunteers going on holiday, that kind of thing, you know. But uh, people do their very, very best to get things as quickly as they can. So, Miss Know Your Rights from Kelly and Company, could you tell me, <laughs> is there any legalities, uh, any areas of, of kind of navigation through the... You know, the legal yeah, rights of you guys reading stuff if I say, I want this read, question. this play. That's right. Well, actually, the answer is yes. There's a lot of copyright law we have to know about. Um, we can read anything for one individual, but we can't publish that okay. uh, yeah. that reading. So if, if you, Kelly, were to come and say, this is my favorite comic book, could you read me my favorite comic book? We could say, yes, we'll read it to you. Um, but And you can lend it to a friend, right. but you can't sell it. You can't uh, make it available oh, no, for circulation, yeah. Yeah. right? It's just like all the accessibility rules yeah. when it comes That's to it. Right. You can't school. play it on AMI. That's it's right. It's just something That's right. you'd be able to do for your own personal use. That's right. If I had you read something for me from Pal, yes. and I loved it so much, can I request... No, you your can't voice? have Danielle come home and read <laughs> to you every night. Can I request your voice through Pal? I don't know the ah. answer to that question, but so, g- so give it a try. Ramya's really next question is, so let's just go back to this here. <laughs> so if I won't like your voice so much, can I have you come to my place, sit on the couch, and read every night? Yeah. <laughs> well, I would do that. Oh. For Ramya. For Ramya, absolutely. <laughs> but only for Ramya, Kelly. That's right. Snap, Team no. Ramya again. I mean, she's got to sit at the kitchen table and read. That's where she's And you, know, you have to make me a cup of tea. That's right. Oh, you can so just easy. sit there they're on the couch and just like, yeah. Very easy accommodations here. Danielle, this was awesome. It yeah. was so fun. I'll see you Monday. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. I'll see you Monday. Thank you so much. On Know Your Rights. Danielle McLaughlin joining us. We know her from our program, but she's here today with PAL Reading Service. Uh, we're going to hear the story next up, as a matter of fact, beh- uh, behind the individual who has made a great business of her experience, as a matter of fact, with disability. We're Denise also going to hear... Justin joins us coming up in a moment with uh, Say Hello to Blindness right after this.
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Wake Keen. We kick off in Toronto here with the CCB Visionaries and so many people gathering around. It's going to be a busy final segment of this AMI Audio live broadcast. Ramya Booth and Kelly McDonald hosts. Ramya? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so we just had an experience where someone who was supposed to join us on the last segment, their booth was so busy. Yay! And then they finally, finally joining us. Yeah, it was really busy. Yasu Adego, someone I've known for a real long time. Now we know we had to lasso him and drag him over. (laughs) Yeah, he is the owner and operator of Vision Aids Inc. Uh, That's a shop based in Toronto with a ton of stuff. Yes, how are you doing? Oh, so far so good. Yeah, good. Um, So for anyone who doesn't know about Vision Aids, tell us a little bit about it. Well, Vision 8, it's been operated by Yasef Dagoani and which had been on the business for the last 14 years. And we have accessories for the blind uh, and visually impaired people. And we have customized our clients according to their wish. The young generation, they drop by, but you know, for the seniors, I go to their places and show them all accessories. Oh, so you go to other people's places if they need the accommodation. Absolutely. Wow. So then you do like the, the assessment. And, and how much fun is that, especially when you know you've got things that can help them out? Oh, yeah. My patient space of always. Oh, that's amazing. That's I cool. do have to take care of the people that they need it. Yeah. And always at the end of the day, when I see the smile, I make my sale. And you've been in this kind of area of things, dealing with people who have vision impairments when it comes to training people in technology, uh, showing people accessibility, accommod- uh, accessories and things that people need, like uh, devices, yes. for a long time. Yes, since uh, 2000. Yeah. But how long has Vision Aids been around, though? Vision Aids have been about 14 years so far. Okay. How um, has it changed or grown? Well... Technically, you know, if you look at it from the economy point of view, it's not that much great. But from customer point of view, everybody knows about it, and they can walk in, and they can make whatever decision they want to make. I do have items which are reasonable prices up to the high-tech. Okay. So You have high-tech as well? Oh, yes, definitely. Wow, and have you, in the time you've been running, you've had to switch some things out, I'm sure, and make some of those adjustments as the, as the not economy, but as the needs out there and the demand calls upon? Oh, definitely, sure. Technology with the demand is always one of the best ones. Whenever you need it, it doesn't matter. You're going to get it. So what kind of stuff can we find at the store? Give us some examples of devices or uh, things that people really love that Vision 8 carries. Okay, one of the best ones is pen friend. Oh, yeah. Pen we friend, love they love it. And I do have color detector. That's A good not... one? Oh, yes. You've got to be fussy about them, right? Oh, yeah. Exactly. And they can tell you the color, like you know, whatever clothes you're going to dress up for the next morning. I will tell the exact color, and you can match up the way how you want. Mm-hmm. On top of that, Vision 8 is very famous for the calendars every single year. We print over 500 calendars a year. Calendars? Well, oh, because yes. you run short, so many accessible calendars, you go try to hunt them down, they're yes. gone by November. Oh, yes, absolutely. I do have the Braille calendar as well as the big, large calendar. Large print, right. Yeah. 
Oh, that's fantastic. Yes. Uh, yesterday I was with a friend. He showed me like an ot light, which is the, the little lights, the table lights with the stand yes. uh, that you can move the arm around. But this one was like a double-armed light, Kells. Exactly. So you had two. I like that. Yeah, you're yes. able to control Each how one far. Individually, exactly. Kind of yep. As well as the brightness and the color, the change of the, the light as well. Yeah, you can control by tapping yep. three times. Oh. And it's one of the best one on the market. I would think so. And that yes. gives other accessibility for other people, even when someone with motor skills. Uh, where are you guys now located? We are located at 795 Eglinton Avenue East, Unit 106, which is basically Eglinton and Lair Drive. Right. You guys have been there the whole time, haven't you? Yes. Yeah. Opens six days a week from 9 to 6, and on Saturdays from uh, 9 to 3. How big is your team? Team, it's composed of uh, four people right now. Uh, we operate two people in the store, and the rest, they go from door to door. They okay. deliver, and as well as uh, dealing with a customer, senior special. You know, I love the fact that people go to, to someone's home and uh, make sure that they're okay with the equipment that they're buying. Because half the time, you may buy the equipment, uh, you know, accept it, bring it into your home, and then either not know how to use it enough for not your accommodations, not set it up, you're on, yeah. and you're on your own. Yeah. Exactly. My main concern about any client is always, always to get the best services. Once they got their item, they have to know from A to Z, and I train them how to use them. That's amazing. Yes. Um, yeah, so give us a quick plug into where can people learn more about Vision Aids or call whoever. Yeah, they can call me at 416-422-5556 or on, on the website www.vision8canada.com. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate you guys. Thank you very much. Thank for you. Keep busy. Yeah, I get back to your booth. People are yeah, lining up. We're okay. causing you to lose customers at the moment. <laughs> get Thank back you. there. Why are you goofing off? Get back there. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, guys. That was Iasu Adego, uh, owner and operator of Vision Aids, Inc., based in Toronto. We also have another guest with us right now with an incredible story. Um, and she's made a real business out of her idea and experience with disability denise justin thank you so much for coming on the show well thank you for having me pleasure you, you have created say hello to blindness i have okay you give us the elevator pitch what is it all right <laughs> <laughs> i could do that you leave it to us we'll make up something for you. <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure it could be more fun uh it is an accessory line so what i launched uh, thus far, I have caps and toques and tote bags, hoodies, t-shirts, and uh, with embroidery, so raised embroidery that says, say hello in letters and braille. Wow. That is amazing. So what are some of the things, the common misconceptions you had to navigate and you know, barriers you had to knock down? Interesting. Well, it, 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 the initial barrier was the the catalyst for this launch, and uh, that's your story, right? Yeah, that's my story. Yeah. So in 2012, I was diagnosed with Stargard disease, and that's the loss of central vision. I knew that at some point I would not see people's faces. I'd start walking right by them. Wow. Without acknowledging. Yeah. 
a few years ago it happened. And I knew it was time to launch this product. And the vision popped into my head soon after diagnosis, because I knew this would happen. So the uh, say hello message, really simple, with the Braille. So what it does, it, it evokes interest, you know, a little curiosity, yeah, and yeah. questions. Yeah. And it's amazing how many people are familiar with Braille. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, we say that about, you know, someone who gets a guide dog, all of a sudden people, because the dog is a commonality, hey, hey, hi, Great where they may not started. have before, where Braille is similar. They're wondering, what is that? Well, yeah. Oh, it's some Braille. What's it mean? Yeah. Exactly. And even if they don't know, because no. there are people that do not know, uh, they're really, for the most part, very comfortable in asking. Exactly. Yeah. What I love is that, I mean, a challenge or not, you kind of anticipated and had this idea in the works, knowing where your vision might potentially head, right? Because we often hear about people who aren't ready and then have to spend a lot of time after their vision loss or extreme changes and deteriorations, uh, having to figure out these things yeah. and Correct. not knowing where to go, how to do it. Yeah. And this was one of the worst, I mean, throw everything at me. You know, I, I still don't know what's going to come down the pipe yeah. because I'm early onset. But knowing that I would be walking by people devastated me. Yeah. Because, you know, you work hard to be confident sure. and to be approachable, to be happy. And that first person, it was a couple of years ago, a, a friend I knew 14 years and after the fact, she asked why I walked by right her by. without saying wow. hello. Yep. Yeah. I thought you were upset with me. That's painful. Yeah, I can imagine. Very. And, you know, and I mean, I've, I've noticed that just not being able to tell voices much because of my vision's gone so bad. That what I thought, well, I just rely on voices. No, it's not so true. That little bit and you feel so bad. Um, let's talk about purchasing quickly and where we can go for more information, Denise. All right. I have a, a fabulous online website, the shop, and uh, so new products you can read on, you know, read, see uh, about the products and their pricing. And then I attend as many trade shows as I possibly am able. Nice. Yeah. Uh, any upcoming line uh, or accessories on your line coming up? Other than it, I mean. It, it can just, it's boundless. Okay. It is. It can be so many things you can be creative about. That's right. And that's why attending these yeah. shows are so great because I'm, I'm hearing, yeah, yeah, the ideas. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much for coming on. Um, You're welcome. This is You're welcome. I, literally when I saw your, uh, you as one of the vendors at the CCB event, I was like, what is that? This yeah. is fantastic. Well, and yeah. your story, Denise, exactly. it's just beautiful yeah. and we love to share it. Oh, thank yeah. you very much. Thank you. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Uh, Denise, uh, Justin, joining us about Say Hello to Blindness. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Rummy and I have come to the end of our day here at the, well, okay, the broadcast day. You know we're just getting started, folks. But uh, we appreciate you being with us for this AMI-audio live event and uh, joining us as we help kick White Cane Week off. Remember Friday, special presentation from noon to 4 p.m. Eastern time. It is time for a championship curling. All that comes your way here on AMI-audio. Rumya, final word? 
I just want to uh, say that I really, really learned a lot today. We obviously had some familiar faces and uh, organizations on the show, but at the same time, people that I've literally just gotten to know, uh, so many opportunities out there and help and uh, support and love. I love it so much. So much community, everybody wearing different hats, and as we've heard, sharing information with each other to really get White Cane Week and the word out there of the low vision and blind community and just active and having fun. Wherever you are across the country, hopefully you're involved in events this week and they're wonderful for you and so many things to check out. If you're sighted out there and want to kind of venture out and see what is going on in this community, please do. You're welcome. Arms open, we welcome you along. Uh, we'd like to thank uh, the president of CCB chapter here in Toronto, the visionaries, Ian White. Uh, he, of course, was one of the leads on the uh, Experience Expo. And Louise Gillis, too, national president of the Canadian Council of the Blind. They joined us, and we thank them and all of our guests who joined us on board today. Producer show, uh, Ramya Muthan and Jeff Ryman. And on-site tech, Matt Agnew. And Paula Deneen taking care of things back at home base. Andy Frank roaming around. He's our manager, so we salute him and everybody. And thank you for joining us on this AMI-audio live event. If you missed any of it, check out the podcast. Subscribe to AMI-audio live. On behalf of Ramya Muthan, I'm Kelly McDonald. Talk to you on Kelly and Company on Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts. 
Hello, I'm Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Sean of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts. Hi, I'm Stephen Scott. Join me every day for Double Tap. It's a show where we occasionally talk about technology for blind and partially sighted people. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts.